Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another year. It's our first Sunday of 2015, and we thank you, God, that you've brought us this far. Didn't think we'd make it this far, but you've been good to us, and we thank you for that. And God, today we want to start this year, the first Sunday of the year, going to our only source, your word. God, we're coming today saying, teach us, give us wisdom, inform us, enlighten us, give us understanding, Father, that our hearts might know you and love you. Give us understanding, Father, that we might be people that we ought to be. May that come from the truth, from the word. Lord, we ask today that you would work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you, turn in your, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Black Pew Bible there in front of you. It would be page 1071. Page 1071, 2 Corinthians 13. Last Sunday, the last Sunday of 2014, I preached on our church's mission statement. This Sunday, the first Sunday of 2015, I'm going to preach on our church's core values. Those things that we value most. After this Sunday, I'll be done with all that topical stuff. And starting next Sunday, we will jump into a book. We're going to start with 1 Peter. So you can know that. Starting next Sunday, I will preach from 1 Peter every single Sunday until we get done. And it will take us a while. You remember last year, we went through the book of Exodus. It took us quite some time. Before that, we went through the Gospel of Luke. And it took us a really, really long time. So we'll start 1 Peter next Sunday. And we'll go as long as it takes to cover every passage in the book of 1 Peter. That's our preference here. And we'll start that next Sunday. Today, we're going to go over the church's core values. Now, I think you know what core values are. These are things that we are saying that the very core of who we are, they are most valuable to us. These are the things that we think have the most value in the life of our church. I want to get you to think along these lines. I don't know if you have personal core values. I don't. Uh, I don't know if anybody does. But what is it that you value most? You might take time to think about that. It's the end of one year and the start of another, and so hopefully you're reflective right now, thinking about what is most important to you. What are your core values in your personal life, in your family life, in your adult life? What is it that that you value the most? Is it time with your children? Is it time working? Is it being a fan of sports? What is it that you value the most? These are good questions to ask. And you know that once you start thinking along those lines, you are quickly brought to the thought of, huh, well, what I say I value doesn't always line up with what I'm living like I value. Many of us say we value time with our children. We know that that's the best, but we rarely do it. Many of us say we value giving Yet we're always spending. What is it that you value the most? I want to twist it a little bit. I want to ask you, what is the most valuable thing that you have? That's another way of asking the same question. What is the most valuable thing that you have? Have you ever heard somebody ask, if if you woke up in the middle of the night and your house was on fire and it was burning down and you only had literally seconds, moments to hurry up and get out the house to survive, what would you grab on the way out? You ever thought about that? What would you grab? 
Now we know sadly all of us would grab our phone first and that's terrible and yet true. What would you grab? Would it, would it be your computer and your, your iPad? Would it be your shoes? What's the most valuable thing that you own? What would it be? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I thought last night because my wife's sick and I was <clears throat> trying to do some laundry, which I'm not really good at last night. My wife was already asleep and I got in bed with the, with the laundry going. And I literally, because this was on my mind, I thought... I, I might have just done that wrong. I probably forgot to clean out the vent. And what if our house burns down tonight? How would I wake up in the middle of the night and get sick Val and all four kids out the house through a fire? And I was asking myself, did I think I could break the window to be able to get Carolina out the window? I was thinking like that. So I was asking myself, like, what, what else would I grab? What is valuable to you? Now I want you to think about that as far as our church. What is valuable to us as a church? What a great question. And if we don't ask this question, or, or, or rather if we cannot answer this question, then let's just go ahead and chalk it up that we're ineffective. That we're not accomplishing any great purpose. That we're having very minimal impact. What does our church value? What is valuable to us? Is it loving people? Is it the Word of God? Is it the preaching of the Word of God? Is it singing songs? Is it the community of Fairdale? Is it each other? Now what makes this question great to ask is that the church is not this place. The church is the people. The building is the building that gets the title of the church, but it's not right. We are the church. What is it that we value? What is most valuable to us? And today I want to present to you what our three core values are here at First Baptist Church of Fairdale. Three things that you should know about our church. Three things that I hope are true, that I hope are evident, and that I hope that you're looking for. I, I hope that if you're here today and you're brand new to our church, you've never been before, you haven't been here in a while, that you're here today thinking, you know, I, I want to know what the church is like now. I, I, I visited this church and I want to know what it's like. Or maybe you've been coming for a while and you're thinking about joining, you want to be a member. If you're interested in this church, you might be asking, well, what, what, what are the three things that they value most? What are their core values? That's what today is about. I want to show you these three from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The three that we have are gospel, community, and mission. They are on the front of your bulletin every Sunday. They are on the signs that we have at every entrance. Those three, gospel, community, and mission, are in my mind fantastic, comprehensive, and just good. And I hope that today as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, you will see this. Start reading with me, if you will, at chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit. But if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking 
in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now this is the last chapter to 2 Corinthians. Paul, you know, is a missionary. He traveled around. He was an apostle. He saw Jesus. He was sent out by Jesus to go to the world, to go specifically to the Gentiles. He was a missionary to the Gentiles. Paul traveled around, and he would go to different towns, and when he would get to a town, he would preach. People would believe, and he would set up a church. Corinth is one of these places. And Corinth is the one book in the New Testament that we have more written to than any other. We have 1 Corinthians, it's 16 chapters, and 2 Corinthians is 13 chapters. We have a lot written to the Corinthians. And there's a lot that churches get from the books of Corinthians because so much is dealt with. There's a lot of stuff dealt with in 1 and 2 Corinthians. A lot of sin issues, a lot of growth issues, a lot of spiritual gifts issues, a lot of leadership issues, a lot of family issues, marriage issues, sexual issues. A lot of issues dealt with in 1 and 2 Corinthians. We get to the end here. It's Paul's final words to them. He says a lot that we can learn from. I think it's good for us to look here as we discuss our core values, gospel, community, and mission. Let's start with number one, the gospel. Paul is writing here. He draws out his authority. He assures them that it is Christ speaking through him. And if they did not believe that it was Christ speaking through him, he brings more witnesses and he wants them to know that there's proof that Christ is speaking through him. That the power of God is with him. And then in verse 5, he asks this, or he commands this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, I think this is awesome because this is at the end of 2 Corinthians. Paul has been working for a long time with the people in that church. You and I often think about the evangelism, the outreach, the witnessing to people, the gospel to people, the good news of Jesus being like a cold cut first thing that you do. We often think about, I run into somebody at the gas station, how do I talk to them about Jesus? That's the way it is. But I want you to see here that when we start talking about valuing the gospel, okay, the good news, that this is not a one-time thing, this is an all-the-time thing, this is something that we never get past, it's at the very core of who we are, and it is indeed what we value. Paul has written 29 chapters to the Corinthians. 
They know Him really well. They know Him as well as you might know anybody who is a leader over you. They understand Him. And at the very end of that, who He had many times in Corinthians, He has built them up saying, you're, he, has, he has challenged them saying you're immature. At other times, He has built them up saying that I know that you're the saints and I thank God for what He's doing in you. And I know that He saved you. And I remember when the Holy Spirit came to you. And I remember when the power of God came to you. And I thank God that He's forgiven you of your sins. He has done both. Challenged them and built them up. He has. And here at the very end, he sets forth, are you saved? Are you actually a Christian? Are you actually a believer in Jesus? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It's profound. This isn't something he says at the very beginning to somebody who's still saying they're not saved. This is not something he's saying to his friend that he knows is not going to heaven. This is what he is saying to the church he's been working with for a long time. He's the one who confirmed those people as believers. He's the one who baptized these people. And he says to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now what do we mean by the faith? The faith is that you believe in the gospel. What do we mean by the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Please don't ever think that I want you to hear core value gospel and not understand what it means. Gospel is the good news that God saves. Gospel is the fact that we can be right with God even though we're not. The gospel can be best understood in four points. Easily understood in these four points. The first is that God is holy. God is a holy God. He's a creator God. He never sinned. He made us. He has the right to be mad at people who have rebelled against Him, and yet He is loving towards them. God is holy. There's nobody like God. Number two, people are sinful. Everybody who's ever lived has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our sin is a transgression against the holiness of God. And as you know, a transgression against a holy God is a big problem. Point number three, Jesus is the answer to that problem. God demonstrates His love toward us that while we were sinners, yes, we're sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to answer you and I's sin problem. You know what that means? That means Christians are not people that hide their sins, deny their sins, or are afraid to confess their sins. Christians are people who confess their sins and say, hey, I make mistakes. It's awesome that Micah teaches us a new song today that's a song of confession. There's not a sin I hadn't done. There's not a sinner I can't identify with is what you and I just sang and I like that. Because we can admit that because we have a God who's greater than that who sent His Son Jesus to correct us from that to make us right. That's number three. And number four is if we repent and believe that God will save us. Number one, God is holy. Number two, people are sinful. Number three, Jesus is the answer to that problem. Number four, if you repent and believe it you'll be saved. You'll be a child of God. You'll be right. And what we're saying here at our church is that there's nothing more important than that message. There is nothing more important than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we value that. Nobody, nobody can be a part of our church if they don't value the Gospel of Jesus. They're certainly welcome to attend and be around and hang out and listen and sing and be able, all that. But if you want to be a, a member of our church, you have to be somebody who values the Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to be somebody who values the good news message that Jesus saves us from our sins. Which means you have to value truths of the Bible. You have to value that God is holy. You have to value the doctrine that says we have sinned against God. We don't value that we're sinners. We hate that. 
but we value the truth that God has told us that you and I have sinned against God and we need forgiveness. You have to value that God sent His Son in love to save the world, to redeem the world. And you have to value that response is necessary. Response is needed. You have to value that somebody cannot just say, yeah, I like church, yeah, I agree with those things. But yet the heart and soul, the body, us, we have to be responding people. We have to be people who hear a message and then turn from our sins. We have to be people who turn away from self and put our eyes on Christ. We have to be a people who are leaving sin and self, turning our back on the world and going toward God. We value the gospel. To us, there is nothing more important than the gospel. One of the problems with putting gospel in the three core values is that it seems to make the gospel on the same level as community and mission, and it's not. There's nothing more important than the gospel message. Nothing. I showed this last week when preaching on our mission statement that the very thrust of our mission statement is our existence is to proclaim Jesus. I believe literally with my whole heart that God has us here to tell people about Jesus that they might be saved from their sins. (coughs) The Gospel is indeed good news that God will forgive us and save us if somebody believes. When we say that we believe the Gospel, we are saying that we were not right with God, but now we are right with God, not off of our own works, but because of what Christ has done. And folks, we value that message. We value being able to say, we don't deserve to be right with God, but Jesus did that. We value being able to put all emphasis on Jesus. We value Jesus so much in the gospel message that it is a litmus test for every single thing that we do here. The coming and the going. The spending. To be glorifying to Jesus. To be the best use. Had an awesome conversation this morning with several people about our bulletins and how could we make it better and could we get it to color and could we do all of that. And it was our reaction to say, we don't want to spend more money on stuff like that. We have better needs to spend our money on. That's because we value Jesus. We want literally all of our expenses and all of our energies and all of our time to go to people getting the gospel. We want people to hear about how you get right with God. One might be asking, why? Why so much emphasis on the gospel? Because folks, listen. It's the beginning of 2015. Let's start it off right. Folks, there's no way for you or anybody to be right with God, to escape the judgment, or to go to heaven apart from a new life in Jesus. I'm serious about that. And we value that. Anybody who does not know Jesus and been forgiven of their sins goes to hell. The Bible's clear about that. We think that with every human being Life or death hangs in the balance and the only answer for them is to hear what God has done in love for them by His grace and His mercy to make them right. The worst thing you and I could possibly do would be to hold back the Gospel from somebody. This is the most valuable thing. This is the most valuable message. Therefore, it is a core value of ours. It is the most important core value of ours. Last night as I was reading... I saw on CNN, many of you heard about it, 
the plane crash in Kentucky. Did you hear about that? The only person that survived was a seven-year-old girl. Her family flying back from Florida in their own personal little plane. The four others died. The article goes into detail that says since they were coming back from Florida, she had on shorts and no socks and shoes. She's a seven-year-old and she gets up. She tries to wake up all four parents. They're not going to wake up. They're dead. So she walks a mile as a seven. So she takes a, it's dark, it's nighttime. So she takes a tree branch that she finds and goes to the burning wing of the plane and sets the stick on fire and uses that torch. A seven year old girl uses that torch to walk a mile to the closest house, knocks on the door and says, Can I come in? They're like, What in the world's going on? Who are you? Where she said, My parents are dead. Folks, if you don't think life's serious, talk to the seven-year-old who now has no family, who did survival carrying around a stick with no shoes in the Kentucky cold of January. Y'all, life hangs in the balance. Stuff like that happens. Just this year, our church dealt with many deaths. Many deaths that were unexpected. It's real, and the only answer is Jesus. I woke up this morning excited about coming to church. I got like a 10-second drive from my house to church. And that 10-second drive, I heard the ESPN's best anchor ever, Stuart Scott, passed away. I don't know if you heard that. 49 years old, Stuart Scott died of cancer. He's gone. Graduate from North Carolina Chapel Hill, so I especially like him. He's one of the best ever. He's dead. We'll never hear him say the things he says on SportsCenter ever again. He was only 49. 49 is young. I thought he was just going through chemo and he was coming back. He passed away. Folks, this is the reality we live in. And we are foolish. We don't understand the value of life. We don't understand the valuing of the meaningful things in life. We don't understand valuing the most important things in life. And when we do not value the gospel. And we don't value Jesus. And if you're a Christian that doesn't have all of the emphasis on Jesus yet, then shame on you. And today, make it right that you want to be somebody that values the gospel that values Jesus. And you want every relationship you have everywhere to be pointing people to Jesus. Now, I don't want you to be a Bible thumper. And I don't want you to be somebody that gets on people's nerves. And I don't want you to be somebody that's so argumentative and so abrasive and so obnoxious that you're not actually reaching anybody with the Gospel. But I do want you to get such a priority upon Jesus that you learn to love and serve and be a blessing to people that they might get the Gospel. Because if they don't get the Gospel, they don't get God, they don't get heaven, and it's not worth it. It's not good. We value these things. We value acknowledging our sins and turning away from them. We value being a people totally surrendered to Jesus as King, Lord, and Savior. We are not ashamed of that. We see the, we see the gospel as the most valuable thing. May you in the new year, be committed to valuing the gospel message. May you want me to never deviate from that. May you want us to always represent that in the best way. May you want all of us to communicate that everywhere we possibly can. May it be said about First Baptist Fairdale, they love Jesus. They value Him. They treasure the good news message. They want people saved. Our first core value is the gospel message of Jesus.
Paul valued that. And so he says to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Do you ever examine yourself? Do you ever look back and say, man, it's been a while since I've done this. Am I still a believer? Do you ever ask your friend or your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister, hey, you need to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Are you saved? Are you right? This is what Paul is asking him. And I think it's very fitting because it's, this isn't the first day that our church is meeting. We've been a church for a while. Some of you have been attending for a while. And yet, now is the time for us to put an emphasis on valuing the gospel. Why? Because we're always to be valuing the gospel. We always be asking ourselves, am I in the faith? Am I really a Christian? Do I have the new birth? Have I been changed? Do I hate my sins? Do I love Christ? Do I have a burden for people? Is my life oriented around this heavy truth of Jesus as Lord and Savior? Number two. Number one, we value the gospel. And number two, we value community. While Paul says to examine themselves to see if they are in the faith, I do want to point out that all of that is plural. He's not talking to one person. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He's talking to a whole group of people. He's talking to a body like this. He's talking to members one of another. And he says for them to be checking themselves. And so we value community. Keep reading. Verse 6, he says, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. You see what Paul's doing here? Paul is setting up an argument to where he can say, we may not have been the very best example for you. You may indeed have things that are in your mind that are hiccups, that are hesitations, that are bumps in the road. You may have things that, that cause you to struggle, that, 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 that cause hardship in what you call the faith or in the body. Verse 80 says, We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And then he uses this word that comes again later on. He says, Your restoration is what we pray for. Paul is saying that what he, he's using the plural for him too, what we pray for, that what Paul is working toward in his ministry with the people that are with him is that the people would be restored. That there would continually be a recommitting up to us being committed. There would continually be a reuniting one to another. That there would be a work going in us based off the gospel of Jesus and the good news and what that message is that you and I are united. And he says that the restoration of you all is what we're praying for. Verse 10, For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Verse 11, this is the very end. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. I love it when he says this. I wish people would hear this phrase more often. I wish people like you would not forget that the Bible says that. Y'all, we live in a day where it is extremely common for people to give up on church. We live in a day where it is extremely common for people to switch church or leave church or change church or whatever. And there are good reasons for it, sadly. 
But you know what the heart of the Bible is? For us to be extreme, OCD almost, against that. No, don't let it happen. Aim for restoration. Aim's not a shot in the dark. Aim is, I've got my gun set, I've got my scope set, I've got the crosshair set, and I can hit something 300 yards away. I'm so focused. That's what aiming is. You know that. And Paul uses the word, we should be aiming to see that people stay committed to each other. And he doesn't give us the opportunity to say, yeah, but you hurt my feelings. Yeah, but you're... You're... You're not a good pastor, Josh. And people come up with excuse after excuse, and Paul says, look, I know those excuses are there. Remember, I pointed that out. He says, we may seem to have failed in verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul. I don't know anybody in the New Testament better at serving Jesus with the Gospel ministry than Paul. He's the hero of the New Testament. And he says, I may have let you down. We may have failed. You may be disappointed in us. But aim for restoration. Folks, the second thing that we value here as a church is above everything else to be a picture to the world of what it means to be committed to one another, not off of each other's performance. That is not where our commitment comes from. We are committed to each other as a community of believers based off that first value, the Gospel. Jesus loves us and is committed to us because of who He is, not because of who we are. Let me say that again. Jesus loves us and is committed to us not because of what we're like, but instead because of what He is like. And when we get to be a church, praise God for the grace and the privilege of it that we learn to be committed to each other not based off the way we are to each other. Now, if we're good to each other, praise God and you love that and it feels good to be a part of a church. But we want to be, a, and that's the way it should be. But even if it's not, we are committed to each other as a community of believers based off of Jesus. Based off His example. Based off that good news. And at the very heart of what the good news is, is that He forgives us. And this is where the word restoration starts to make sense. We continually need to be restored. I'm sure there are times in 2014 where you were disappointed in me. You may be here today not even really wanting to listen because you've been disappointed in me. Or if not me, then maybe us. If not us, then maybe just one of us. Listen, I know that it happens. It doesn't just happen here. Guess what? It happens sometimes at work. It happens sometimes on my street. It happens sometimes in the neighborhood. It happens sometimes at school. It happens all the time at school, actually. It happens sometimes on the team. It happens, it happens everywhere that people let you down and you sometimes get offended or whatever, and, and it's tough. Relationships are tough. People are tough. Sometimes y'all hurt me, but I can't overreact because sometimes I hurt y'all. And the Bible is teaching us to be a people unlike the world. Now, the world reacts that way. I bet everybody here in the room knows somebody, even in their family, blood, that can't get along. Because that's just how it is. We're people. We're sinners. We make mistakes. But the gospel message, our first core value, gives light to the second core value. That we are not dealing with each other the way is natural or the way that the world would expect us to. We are dealing with each other based off the way Jesus has forgiven us. That is otherworldly. That is of God. That is awesome. 
And so we value community. By community, I do not mean the local community of Fairdale around us. I'll talk about that as a third value. By community, I mean a commitment to relationships. We value that. We see that they value that because he says, we're praying for your restoration. And then just a few verses later, he says, aim for restoration. Christianity is not supposed to be spent alone. It's not. It's just not. And for all the people out there who think that they are following Christ alone in their own regard without the church, in all humility, not wanting to upset them, but wanting to kindly point them in the right direction, that's not what the Bible says. Or else Paul would have ignored the restoration talk and he would have said, yeah, I know those people have done you wrong. As long as you keep believing, you'll be all right." The Bible never says that. He says you better restore those relationships. You better aim for that. And I know that it's hard. But grace abounds. God is working. Forgiveness is real. Here Paul is ending his letter urging them to stay together. Whatever has caused some hurt or division or friction or space or separation, y'all, we have to aim for restoration. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He does not say, the world will know that you are my disciples based off how positive of a bright shining light that you live. He doesn't say that. Somebody's twisted the message when they start saying that. Now, he does say you let your light shine. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It doesn't say that they'll become disciples. You know what totally shows people that God must be real? When you hurt my feelings and I keep loving you. When you talk bad about me and I keep loving you. When we talk bad about each other and, and, and learn to forgive each other because God has forgiven us. When we don't hurt grudges. When we start to look really like a people changed by God. When we start to be a community of believers. I was up at the high school a couple years ago. I loved this. It hurt, but I loved it. I was talking to somebody in the office. I won't tell you who it was. This was several years ago. He said, man, I heard about what happened down at the church. That's some rough stuff. I said, yeah, it's tough. Real tough. He said, everything will be all right? I said, yeah, I think so. You know, it might take time or whatever, but I still believe in God, and I think God still has control over us, and He's working in us. We'll see what He does with it. I went on to tell the whole story. Repentance before the church, tears, confession, forgiveness. Went on to tell what really happened here and how people were able to forgive and repentance was in place and us trying our best as leaders of the church to follow what God tells us to do. You know what that person in the office said? He said, never heard that part of the story. Folks, the world takes the bad things, takes the drama, and runs with it. God wants us to know impacting the world is when we act not like the world. In the face of trials, sin, hurt, and we aim for restoration. Now, if you're not using the ESV like I'm using today, and you're using the Pew Bible... It doesn't, say, it doesn't say aim for restoration, does it? You know what it says? Become mature. What a statement. What a statement. 
I wasn't bold enough to say, it's immature to give up on each other. The Bible says, be mature. Noah comes running into the living room. It's Christmas and we got toys all over the place. And Noah comes in the living room. Carolina's messing up my Legos. So I hit her. And no, I said, Noah, you never hit girls. She's one. She's one year old. She doesn't know how to play with Legos. Don't overreact. Chill out. Wait one second and she'll be done with that and on to the next toy. Sometimes we need to be like that. We need to be the older one, the more mature one, and realize we'll get past it. I'm not going to give up on what I've been building on. I'm not going to give up on what I've been building on. There's something here. Listen to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's how you do that. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's be a people who understand my church involvement is dependent upon other people's church involvement, and other people's church involvement is dependent upon my church involvement. And let's take it a step further, even, that our following Christ, our being encouraged, our continuing in the faith, is even pressed on or to use those words, stirred up by us being involved, not neglecting being involved. Folks, we value having people close to us, community. We value being known by people. We value doing life together. We value accountability. We value relationships. You know that it is a bad sign for somebody to be able to walk in, not connect with anybody, walk out, not connect with anybody, not be known, not have a conversation with anybody until the next time they're here on a Sunday. I'm not saying they're the worst person in the world. I'm not even saying they're living in sin. I'm just saying it's not a good sign if they don't have any relationships helping them. It's too hard to be a lone ranger out there trying to believe in Jesus. It's not God's design. It's not. Because relationships will inevitably push you closer to Jesus. If you don't welcome somebody in your life being able to speak the truth to you about what is right according to God, then you're not going to be growing closer to Him. How would you? How would you? You have to be somebody that hears the preached Word and knows what God says instead of what you think. We can't be those who are wise in our own eyes. The Bible is telling us this, that we need each other. Listen, when you truly start to value Jesus, you will value community because... God designed it where community helps you value Jesus. How many times have we heard somebody give a testimony and they say, I'm closer to Jesus now than I ever have been before because I got involved with my church. That's what community is all about. If you do not value relationships, then how do you know you value biblical Christianity? Listen to this quote by David Gill. The challenges that we face in life are formidable. Without community, they become impossible. Do you know somebody right now who says they're a Christian that is about drowning in their faith? That is just about ready to give up and abandon all things in Christ? I know like a thousand people like that. They're just about ready to give up. Are they completely surrounded by strong believers who are carrying them along? 
Are they bouncing their thoughts and their sorrows and their hardships off of believers? Have they knelt down with somebody to pray? When was the last time that you had prayer with anybody in your house other than your family? When was the last time the Bible was read even one time outside of here with somebody else? Folks, we need that. It's how God grows us. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. This screams valuing community. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Does everybody hear that? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You know that the church and Christianity and Jesus followers are supposed to be different, right? Notice how different that is from what the world does. The world says, oh, you you stole from me, I'm done. The world says, oh, you talk behind my back, forget that. That's the world's reaction. I know it is. That's not ours. It's not Jesus' people. He says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Listen to this. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Y'all are back restored. Y'all are back restored. We're close. We love each other. Yeah, but he said something about you. Sin happens. I said bad things about Jesus before. I've done bad things against Jesus before. I have a lot, all the time. And he continually restores me. We are a people committed to community because community helps us value the gospel. Lastly, number three, mission. Number one, we value the gospel. Number two, we value community. And number three, we value the mission. Notice here, as I've already read the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians 13, notice here that Paul is telling them, I've already been to you, I've already been to you three times, I've already written you letters, and I'm telling you to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Paul makes known that his whole purpose of working with these Corinthians is that they would be secure in Christ. That's it. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's the only reason I'm here. That's the only thing I've got a concern about with you Corinthians. I want you all to know that. And it it tells us that there's a mission here. We are to be so passionately and radically about these things, the gospel and community, that it is carrying over into other people getting it. That's where mission comes from. We don't need to go to a place in the Bible and say, well, does the Bible speak about living with mission? No, we don't do that. We could, but we don't have to. As soon as you start to see the gospel as valuable as it is, and as soon as you start to see community for as valuable as it is, guess what the obvious third is? We need to be about it. We need to be about it. It doesn't make sense if you have a pastor who never, ever, ever touches, impacts, reaches a life, does it? You would be shocked by that. You would be upset by that. You'd be worried by that. You would have a problem with that. What kind of pastor is he? We never see anybody getting saved. We never see him spending time with anybody. We never see him reaching anybody. We never see anybody new. We never see anybody getting baptized. What is that? You'd be disappointed. You would think I'm not doing my job. And my job is just to be an example believer in front of you all. Because this is what mission is about. It's valuing the good news of Jesus above everything else. It is valuing community that helps us be believers in Jesus and then living toward it. We see this here. Notice how he ends this letter. Uh, Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 
This is something that we're to be about moving forward. I want to take you all the way back to the beginning. You don't have to turn there. But at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what he says. Verse 14. That on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us. 2 Corinthians 1.14 That on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us. Here's what he's saying. There is coming a day, folks, when the, Jesus is going to come back and save the people that He's saving. It's really going to happen. And when Jesus comes back, He's going to save the people that believe in Him, and the people who have not believed in Him will not be saved. And He says, when that happens, you'll boast of us. Why would they boast of Him? Because He brought them the only message that can save them. Folks, I want to ask you here today, that when Jesus returns, will there be anybody thankful for you? Will you be saved and your girlfriend not? Will you be saved and your children not? Will you be saved and your neighbors not? And they'll be thinking, what in the world? How you got a message that huge and that valuable and you didn't convince me of it? Matter of fact, what you value convinced me otherwise. But Paul says, because of the way we value the gospel and the community and the mission, when Jesus returns, you'll boast about us. 2 Corinthians 1.14 I literally believe that our church exists to proclaim Jesus. This is what we must be about. We want people hearing. We value seeing people saved. We value seeing people baptized. We value changed lives. We value relationships that aim for restoration. We value doing all that we can to get people connected to Jesus. Now I mentioned that loving this community and being involved in the local schools and all of that is not a part of point number two. It's not. When we say we value community, we say we value being plugged into one another, having relationships that help us grow in Christ. That's not to the neglect of this community. Everybody that comes close to our church knows our emphasis on community. That's because we value the mission. We value the need, the cause to go and get there. We value the need to find the people who don't know Christ and to tell them they can be forgiven of their sins. We value going and telling. We value that. We must be living on mission. I've been reading this book for quite some time. I'm a slow reader. It's the book by Jay Billis, the basketball guy. It's called Toughness, and I love the book, and I read a little bit at a time. And just this week, I got to a quote. He's trying to talk about basketball, and he's talking to an engineer for NASA. Just imagine how smart you have to be to be an engineer for NASA. He's talking to a guy who's an engineer for NASA, and he says, all of us depend on each other to make the mission work. That sounds like basketball, and that sounds like church, okay? We need each other if we're going to accomplish our mission, that's just the truth. But listen to what he says. He said, that's absolutely true when you're launching a rocket. And I came up with this little phrase. Responsible to the element, accountable to the mission. Responsible to the element, accountable to the mission. And here's what it means. 
when each person understands I'm responsible for something in church life, then I will be accountable for the mission of our church. When you start thinking, man, the church depends on me. I've got a responsibility. Then you'll start being accountable to the mission. It's profound. Real simple statement, but a NASA engineer came up with it. And it's profound. I remember playing college basketball. I, hurt my, I sprained my ankle going into Christmas break. I tried to recover it the whole Christmas break. We came back and we come to a game and I tried to get into the game. I got my ankles taped up. Coach puts me in and I'm playing. And I'm kind of hesitant on it. I'm being a little bit ginger on it. I think I'm 100%, but I'm just not playing 100%. And I'm wanting some sympathy from Coach. He says, he, he calls a timeout. He looks me straight in the face. He says, Josh, if you can't go, sit down. I thought to myself, what do you mean? I'm trying. My ankles, I'm trying to see if it's all there. Nah, coach wants me understanding. We're trying to do something here. We're trying to play our best and win the game. We're trying to beat that team. In other words, you're accountable to what we're doing. If you're not helping us do what we're doing, then something's wrong. It needs to be corrected. You might be serving our team better sitting on the bench, Josh. Accountable to the mission. We want to be a people who understand what it means to be valuing mission. We want people to know Jesus. And so we value the gospel. And so we value community together. And when we do that, we value the mission. And we will be about it. Church in 2015... May God move your heart to have those commitments, to have those values. And may it feel like this is just the beginning of God doing great things through us, reaching the world through His church. May the people around us see us as valuing those things that we know as most valuable. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul Aiming for restoration. God, thank you for Jesus' commitment to restoring us continually. Laying out an example of always forgiving 70 times 7. Father, thank you for core values. May it be that our church really does value those. We ask for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.